The mic is hot and the game is on. You're listening to News for the Nation podcast by Aces Nation, where we talk about nutrition, sports performance, the journey of a student athlete, and more. I'm Claire. I'm Zach. Time Time to to level level up. Welcome back, sports fans. Today we are talking about probably the most important factor when applying force into the ground. Your feet. So we're going to talk all about it, Um, from footwear, from exercises to help um, keep your feet healthy, um, experiences that we've had with um, running or just playing sports and different footwear and the the toll that it takes on your feet, Mm -hmm. right? So Claire. I've got some stories. I I know you do, because you're a cross-country runner. (laughs) And and you're a Brooks girl. Yep. Through and through. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) I love Brooks. What did you run in before Brooks? Um, I don't know. I think it was always Brooks in high school, um, because my mom liked them. Nice. And your mom run? Yeah. Awesome. She ran like recreationally. Yeah. Um, so I used those in high school. We would go to like the local like Fleet Feet or I think there was like a local running store and they would kind of give recommendations. I can't remember running in anything before Brooks. Yeah. So I think it was typically Brooks. And then when I got to college... Freshman year, I mainly ran in Brooks, and then when we competed, we had to wear Nike, and then I kind of transitioned to Nike. Did you have to run in Nike because of photos? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, it's crazy how, like, if you're going to get a photo taken of you and you're with a certain school, you have to wear that mm-hmm. brand stuff. Yeah. So I transitioned to Nikes, and I I don't know that it was necessarily all the shoes' fault. It, it definitely wasn't, but I think it contributed to it. I got plantar fasciitis, and it was pretty bad, Um, and it lasted for a long time. So, Mm. yeah. So that was kind of the start of my, like, injury progression and the, I guess, downfall of my cross-country career. Would you say that your foot has a low arch on it? No. I think it has a relatively high arch. You have a high arch? Yeah, I've always had to put inserts in my shoes. To support support the arch? Support my arch. Wow. Okay. I have... Pretty high, I would say medium to high arch, and then I have relatively narrow feet also. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah. Um, so with, keeping all the brands aside here, yeah. let's call it <laughs> shoe one and then shoe two. Uh-huh. Obviously, shoe one is your through and through shoe here. Okay. Um, can you tell us the difference between the two as far as toe box goes, as far as like foam padding goes? I mean, thanks everyone for listening to this uh shoe breakdown here the two that i specifically wore yeah yeah shoe one and shoe Um, two the first one the toe box was a little wider and i would Mm -hmm. say there was definitely more cushion on it Mm -hmm. um so i felt that i could what sorry i I want you to specify on, on cushion where was the cushion located was it throughout the entire sole of the foot was it more in one area than the other it was mainly in the mid to the back so um Fun fact, I used to work at a running shoe store in college. Mm-hmm. Um, but <clears throat> so... What, where were you going with that? Just that we're talking about shoes. Oh, okay. You weren't going to give us some, some like running insights of like where your impact should be when running long distance? Well, I'm telling you about the shoe. Go on, go so on. So it was like mid to, mid to back yep. was the majority of the padding, mm-hmm. which makes sense because you want to strike midfoot. Yes, midfoot. You don't want to be a heel striker, toe striker. Um, 
If you are and you're you're okay, it's not maybe the end of the world. But if you're a heel striker and you have shin splints, that could why. probably be why. Yeah. Um, and then I think the Brooks have the ones that or the shoe one that I wear typically have like a ten millimeter drop. So essentially, your heel is sitting a little higher than your toes mm. on the ground. Nice. And then the second one just overall had less cushion. Um, the toe box was narrower. The whole shoe, I think, was a little narrower. And it just felt a little lighter. It didn't have as much support. Um, yeah, those are the main differences. I think the drop was about the same. Right, but I think the second shoe was probably made to be thinner and lighter for aerodynamic purposes, probably. Um, I, Maybe, I'm just, couldn't I, tell you. Yeah, yeah, probably <laughs> couldn't. So I'm glad you touched on a couple of things. Number one, I'm glad you touched on the toe box because that's important mm -hmm. for your foot to have space to naturally move as it mm -hmm. uh, interacts with the ground or at least forces coming from the ground. Um, you talked about striking midfoot, right? So mm -hmm. this is something that one of my classes in college talked about. Um, and we, we took a day and just watched a video and talked about like all this different stuff when it comes to training. And one of the good takeaways I got was like, you, you should strike midfoot, right? There's mm -hmm. a little bit of eccentric action that's going to happen to your heel to the ground, which is kind of going to build up some uh, potential energy in your Achilles. Right. But if you don't know how to run midfoot, the suggestion they made was go jog barefoot because you're going to naturally do that to reduce impact that mm -hmm. your foot takes. So right. just jog around barefoot and you'll, you'll get that feeling of where you need to be. And mm -hmm. then mimic that with your shoes on, obviously. Nobody's running long distance on pavement, barefoot. No, except those people with the toe shoes. Right, but even they have a barrier. Yeah. Yeah, so. Barely. It's, 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 I know, but it's like <laughs> less abrasive yeah, yeah. to the foot. So, yeah, you I know. You want to take us? <laughs> well, I was, I'm going to go into the next part there. Oh, okay. Right, so, um, so. For our listeners here who don't know, when you're wearing shoes, um, well, let me back up here. Everyone knows, or you should know, Newton's third law, right? Every action has an equal and opposite reaction. So anytime we go to strike the ground to move, to propel ourselves, the ground is giving us force back. Mm -hmm. Now, that is assuming that you're, like the whole element is being realized at that point. So when you're running with shoes, that um, sole, whether it's like I don't know, rubber, styrofoam, something, mm -hmm. well, whatever. I think it's usually rubber. Nah, nah, nah. Come on. No. Some, some, some of the like insides are like this like foamy. Yeah. It's tightly not styrofoam. Packed. Well, that's what it reminds me of. Because if oh, you were to okay. slice it open, it would kind of look in that yeah. same texture, right? Anyways, so... Something similar happens when you run in sand, too. But because of the uh, absorption material, let's just call it that, on the bottom of your sole there, some of that force is dissipated. So you're not always realizing the exact amount of force that you're putting into the ground. And this is why one of the reasons why some people do uh, stationary lifts barefoot. Mm -hmm. is because they want to realize all their force. Yeah. Okay. A second element of why they might do that is they want their toes to naturally react and mm -hmm. their foot to have a natural reaction to the ground, right? 
So you mentioned in shoe number two, it was narrower, right? So your your toes are being compressed, right? And they're not able to spread out mm-hmm. like they would naturally do if you were running around barefoot or if you're just walking around um, on the ground, which is called earthing, by the way. Grounding, earthing. Yeah. You call it grounding? Yeah. <laughs> Man, too many times as a kid, huh? Yeah. <laughs> what? No. Grounded. Yeah, anyways. I don't think I ever got grounded. Anyways. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um. So you want your foot to be able to react in that same way. If not, you're you're compensating in some way. Something has to change somewhere else because it's not being realized the way that it's designed to be realized, mm-hmm. right? Um, so the problem with these narrow-toed shoes, right, is you start to form these, well, you can start to form bunions, right, on your big toe because mm-hmm. your big toe is being pushed farther in, right? Yeah. Um, big craze about... Uh, wide toe box shoes. Um, yeah. I, I don't know, within the last five, ten, years. five, ten years, maybe? Yeah, maybe five, ten, yeah. Um, so within a range there, it's become a big deal. Mm-hmm. Um, and a big deal is there's a company out there who just came out with a wide toe box Olympic weightlifting shoe. Huge, huge. Because a lot of those shoes... They're so narrow they're at the top. so narrow. Like... <laughs> I'm talking, I can see like my foot structure you know, through the fabric because they're so tight. But mm-hmm. now they've come out with that, which is fantastic. Uh, but anyways, so you want to have that big space there. Now, another thing, I brought a research article uh, into the mix here with our, our foot play today is about that um, movement to the middle, okay, uh, which is called... Uh, abduction or adduction sorry so where your foot is going towards the other ones okay mm-hmm. your other toes right forming that bunion or that narrow shoe is causing your big toe to go inwards towards your other toes that movement in itself closes or obstructs a vein or an artery sorry artery in your foot which restricts blood flow to the rest of your foot. So just that pushing of the big toe Just into that the mid. adduction, right? That, that hallux adduction passively through the shoe, right? It decreases the blood flow. Now, this could be a problem. Now, mainly the article talks about they did high arch, normal arch, low arch people, um, and just how that could play into the health or lack thereof in your foot because there's no healing because you're not getting blood flow to certain areas, right? Mm -hmm. And how that can become a problem. Yeah. Now, this is talking about like kind of internal systems where I was talking about your toes being able to spread out, Mm -hmm. being more of an external thing where it needs to function and able to, in order to um, have better grip or um, just spread out equally there. So Mm -hmm. you don't want this if your foot is needing to heal, right? So it, it cuts off blood flow underneath the foot, um, which could play into account for some people's uh, plantar fasciitis. Now, the article did mention that um, it's suggested that people with higher arches, this may not affect because they are more susceptible to having those plantar fasciitis uh, elements as well. Right. So it could happen regardless. Could happen regardless, right? So uh, another thing that this uh, article was saying is that your footwear should be taking, taken seriously because what is happening mm-hmm. to your foot while wearing shoes or wearing whatever, any footwear, 
it's it's definitely changing things or it could have the potential to change some things. Yeah. So let, let's just go into an overview here of the, the article. So um, let me talk about the subjects, right? It's always a big deal, the subjects, right? All I've got is 45 healthy volunteers, 20 female, 20 male, about 20 to 30s. That was the range that they gave. Um, just quickly moving on to the discussion there. What, well, basically the method was they did, um, ultrasound of these different vessels in different positions of the, the big toe. So that's kind of how they're getting their blood flow, uh, estimations, uh, of all these things was through the ultrasound at different angles. Um, so decreasing blood flow due to the footwear or otherwise could have a negative impact on tissue health. Like we talked about and healing, uh, because it's been shown in different areas. And plantar fasciitis, decreased blood supply to the plantar fascia, could prevent fully, full recovery and help account for the 46% reoccurrence in patients with uh, plantar fasciitis. However, they did mention later that uh, an athlete or a person with a high arch is probably more susceptible to it regardless of the blood flow mm-hmm. just because of how the structure is itself. Right. Um, an overall decrease in the blood flow uh, from before they move the big toe in and after they move the big toe in, um, and the response kind of varied. So another thing about this article was there was a timed response that happened. So there was an initial blood flow loss when they moved it, and then the body kind of figured itself out, right? So it's not like once they moved it and that vein was uh, obstructed that it stayed that way. It kind of the body bounced back a little bit. It either found a way to just um, open the vein or the artery a little bit more, or it did some uh, rerouting and stuff. So the findings suggest that two thirds of the subject population, which decreased in flow without returning to normal blood flow, are perhaps at a higher risk from any lack of tissue healing. Right. So there were mm-hmm. two thirds of the people whose blood flow didn't return back to normal, right? So once they moved it in, the body didn't find a way to do it. That's two-thirds of the people, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, if this is a, a pretty even population of athletes or healthy individuals, that's still a big chunk of people mm-hmm. that their body's not figuring it out, right? So, um, uh, and like I mentioned here, this one, our results indicate a greater decrease in blood flow in only the low arch foot. So that seems to be um, a phase as well, is if you have that lower arch and you're wearing tight shoes, that could be a problem for you in developing plantar fasciitis Mm -hmm. and recovering from that. Um, In their conclusion here, I'll read the little paragraph that they have. In conclusion, um, the big toe in, I'm not going to read the word, but the big toe in, has shown a negative effect on blood flow within the foot. The decrease in blood flow was greatest in low arch individuals. Our preliminary findings of decreased blood flow through the big toe adduction or or in towards the middle because of this tight shoe box um, in narrow footwear and its effects on the plantar fasciata are worth investigating, right? Mm -hmm. So they're saying like there could be a link there and there should be more evidence to or more studies to link that in. So it's super important. I think, I mean, especially based on the article, but I would say 
um, if you have a low arch, but I think even individuals who have a high arch, you should try to restore that alignment of that, mm-hmm. right? Because anytime your your toe is moving in, now we, we know there's decreased blood flow, right? You may or may not have that blood flow return to normal, even mm-hmm. as it's being pushed into the middle. Uh, but you also need to think about your gait because your gait's going to be um, affected by that. So how you move or how you propel yourself could be affected by how narrow the shoe is and how the toes are aligned. Mm-hmm. And um, in a lot of cases, the body is all affected, especially in the lower body, if your foot is doing something different, then it is being realized up the chain, like from yeah. ankle to knee to hip to low back, you know, it, it is being realized that something is different and other places are having to take account for that and having to uh, compensate for that. Um, I think that I think that I experienced this myself. I'll share a personal story here. So I had turf toe on both of my big toes, right? Um, so very bad hyperextension of my big toe and caused some damage in the joint. And what's crazy is that on one foot, it caused damage on one side of the joint and the other foot, it caused damage on the other side of the foot. Gotta make it even. Yeah, I guess. But, uh, anyways, so I had to have surgery, have some stuff removed, Mm -hmm. um, clean up the joint a little bit there. And, uh, it definitely, it definitely changed the way that I was able to operate after Mm -hmm. that. Right. Like I wasn't as comfortable pushing through my, my big toe as much. Um, and it wasn't as mobile as it was before. And I had to wear a brace to keep it from being that mobile. Well, that changes the way I run, right? Right. That changes the way that I express force. I jump, I land, right? All of those things. And then, you know, you go later down the line, it's probably a couple of years later. Well, I ended up having, um, this back issue with, um, you know, a, a disc being out, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, and nothing else happened in between that time. Right. That could have been, um, not saying that that was the actual case because it's never been proved, right? It's just it's just my theory that that is what was taking all of the brunt from me moving my foot differently. Mm-hmm. Um, so... Uh, it's just so it's a weird scenario when you start messing with the way that the body functions normally yeah and then all of a sudden it has to compensate you know and so you don't want those things to happen right what about outside of exercising so like obviously a lot of people wear shoes on a normal basis Mm -hmm. how would that affect performance or just maybe physiology in general well, I think it's the same. I, I think it's the same thing. Just mm-hmm. outside of it, and gait doesn't have to be running. Gait can be walking, yeah. right? So if you change the way that you walk over time, if you if you're walking a lot, or if you you it's become a factor where there's a lot of pain or there's a lot of compensation happening, mm-hmm. I think that it could manifest. An injury could manifest itself in any different way. Yeah, I, I wouldn't recommend for a long period of time or um, just repeated that you wear shoes that just really cram your, your foot in, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, at some point you're going to have bunions and you're going to have to get those things fixed because they're going to be painful, right? Mm-hmm. So it, I guess. Well, I, I think you are. I've never had one of those. <laughs> well, I mean, I haven't, I haven't either, but, <laughs> but I know people who have, yeah. and they say it's just not fun. incredibly inconvenient. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I guess, like, what... What would be your recommendations then in terms of footwear or how to help with the making sure that 
blood flow is occurring. Yeah, I think if you can get a wide toe box shoe, that'd be great. I mean, because mm-hmm. there are plenty out there now that you can wear that are good. Yeah, I know of a couple. Right, and, and if you can spend a good amount of time without shoes on, that would be great too. Mm-hmm. Um, I know as far as foot care goes, man, this is going to be interesting for some people, but you can also wear toe separators too. Um, spacers, yeah. yeah, or something like that, a spacer. Um, I know to take care of the arch in those low arch people and to preserve it, I've done toe squeezes. Mm-hmm. Or, I mean, you can do like marble pickups too. I yeah, think. or like a towel squeeze with a towel. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, yeah, like a towel scrunch or something. But we would use toe spacers that I would go buy from Sally's. Um, Perfect. Right? <laughs> and you can get a pedicure right after. <laughs> right. So we would get them, and then I'd label the toe spacers for each individual. Mm-hmm. And then we would just, you know, focus on some squeezing stuff. Yeah. Uh, we would also roll out um, the yep. bottom of the foot with um, either a lacrosse ball or a golf ball, depending on what you needed. Yeah. Uh, Frozen but, water bottle is good, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Both are no fun, or all all are no fun. Yeah. Um, and that's kind of how we, we would take care of the foot a little bit as mm-hmm. well, um, just to make sure that we're moving properly. And also, the spacing of it is is just to, to like I said, to get the toes in alignment when impacting mm-hmm. the ground, right? Obviously, the people who I uh, was working with, they were going to wear shoes, right? They were mostly right. basketball players, so... Uh, they were going to revert to having their foot inside of mm-hmm. a most a likely a tight, a narrow toe box shoe. Yeah. But, um, yeah, if you can get away with it, I, I would go barefoot as much as you could mm-hmm. or, or without a shoe or really non, non-tightly non compressing socks. Yeah. Um, wide toe box shoe if you can. If you mm-hmm. can't, you know. Make sh- trying to make sure they're not squeezing the life out of your toes. Right, right. Trying to make sure your footwear is, if if it is for looks or for business or whatever, you know. I mean, they have a lot of business shoes these days that are wide toe box, right? And like, I don't know things. things for become, women, I don't know. I, I know it's different, right? For women, I, I would say maybe try to spend as little time in them as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah, I would imagine that maybe yoga would be good too for that because there's a lot of focus on putting energy into your extremities, your feet, your hands, right. and right. grounding into your toes, spreading your toes out, using the energy from the ground mm-hmm. and stuff like that. So I would imagine that that could be helpful too if somebody is in tight shoes all day and kind of wants right. some preventative care. Yeah. So, cool. Well, guess I'll have to invest in some wide toe box shoes yeah maybe <laughs> if that's what you want to do you know to yeah. each their own we're just giving you information yeah. ways ways that you could uh, help yourself especially our athletes if you're dealing with some foot injuries and some stuff like that mm-hmm. you might take a take a look at how your foot is able to function in all actuality because i mean this could be a thing if you're wearing a lot of narrow uh toe box shoes maybe you need to get your big toe out Instead of being compressed in, yeah, it might help your foot health a little bit. But uh, cool. All right, we're gonna go into another segment here. <laughs> I, I love segments. Love yeah. the segments we have. We haven't done that in a while. You know why I love the segments we have? Why? Because I create them. Yeah. Anyways. True. Um, yeah. So we we've done nutritional clarity before, where Claire gives us. Um, some clarity mm-hmm. on nutritional topics. Today we're going to talk about supplements in a little uh, segment I like to call What's Up? 
Yes. Yes. Yeah. All right. So let's supplement. Yeah, yeah. We're gonna go into a couple things here. All right. So Claire, omega threes definitely mm-hmm. important. True or false? True. Yes. All right. Which omega three is better? ALA, DHA, mm-hmm. EPA. Define better. Uh, which one should we be getting more of? Um, all of them. Mm, okay. <laughs> so they're all, they're, ALA is, you can look at it as a potentially a precursor to EPA and DHA because you can convert some ALA to EPA nice. and DHA. Nice. However, it's very small percent. Or small amount. percentage, right. ALA is also essential. So that means that we cannot produce it in the body. So it is essential that we get it from our diet. Right. Right. So same thing with EPA and DHA. Um, we get them all from food sources and supplementation. ALA, the majority of what you get is from like plant oils. Mm-hmm. So um, like canola oil, uh, avocado oil, stuff like that. And then EPA and DHA are primarily found in fatty fish. So like mackerel, herring, salmon, stuff like that. Um, I would say from a sports performance perspective, EPA and DHA are typically the ones that are thought of to manage inflammation and that sort of thing from a supplement perspective. Um, funny enough, or maybe not funny, but there's not technically a quote unquote recommendation from a from a dose percentage or like a a proportion um there there are some recommendations but there's not a like a, an rda or a dv or like a this is how much you need mm-hmm. um for dha and epa there there is some for ala but again from a sports performance perspective we look at more so epa and dha to manage inflammation help with muscle recovery and then protect your brain health, your cells, and things like that. Um, what I could find from a general recommendation perspective was overall up to about five grams of combined EPA and DHA a day has been shown to be generally well tolerated and not associated with any adverse side effects and also comes with the benefits of, again, reducing inflammation, um, heart health, brain health, and all of those things. Five grams. Just for our listeners, that's 500 milligrams, yes. correct? There you go. Because <laughs> yeah. I know a lot of uh, supplements go in milligrams. milligrams. Yeah. yeah. Um, but then obviously that might change based on sex, based on body weight, energy metabolism, training volume, uh, sport, inflammatory response. So dose may depend and could change based on the person. Um, but that has been shown to be a general recommendation that's safe. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. All right, let's go to the next one. The next one. I- I'm glad uh, you mentioned food sources mm-hmm. for each of those as well, because it's important to look at where you could get those in your natural diet mm-hmm. before supplementing. Right. As you've mentioned before, food first, right. ladies and gentlemen. Right, food but first. supplements are there to They're bridge okay. gaps. Yeah. yeah. All right, next one, amino acids, okay? Mm-hmm. Let's talk about foods that where you can get essential amino acids, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And then let's talk about, uh, I'll go to my next question after that. Okay. About amino acids. Um, so amino acids, building blocks of protein. Yes. There are, um, again, I did put this down. So I said, remember, we do have to 
ingest or eat the essential amino acids because our body cannot produce them. So making sure that our overall protein intake is adequate is what we want to focus on first before supplementing with individual amino acids. Mm -hmm. So to get complete proteins, we either want to make sure we're eating animal sources. So all animal sources of protein are complete proteins. And then there are some plant sources that are complete, very limited amount. And then there are ways that we can make uh, incomplete proteins. So like peanut butter and whole wheat toast, they would be considered complementary proteins because when you combine them, they have all of the essential amino acids. You don't necessarily need to have a complete source of protein at every single time that you eat. It's more important that we're getting adequate amounts of complete protein during the day. But if that's something that you're not wanting to be aware of and is too difficult to track, I would say just have a complete source of protein at every meal, snack, whether that's from an animal um, protein or combining complementary protein sources. Awesome. Thank you for that. You're welcome. All right. Now, what is the best amino acid, in your opinion, for recovery? Um, So I guess it goes back to, number one, making sure you're getting adequate protein. That's number one. Um, If we're looking at recovery from a, like, building muscle and maintaining muscle, I would say leucine. Mm -hmm. Uh, Because leucine is extremely important for muscle protein synthesis. And when you look at recovery, especially from performance training, from sports training, the goals are to maintain the existing muscle mass that you have and hopefully to build new muscle mass. So leucine is going to be very important for that. Again, I would say they're all important, but if that's the goal, if we're looking specifically at recovery, leucine. Okay. Thank you. Mm Mm-hmm. All right, last question here. Last question. <laughs> what supplement store would you recommend? Mm-hmm. What's your preferred supplement so, store? So I think um, my answer for this is not what you expected it to be because <laughs> I didn't give a store. But I can give a store now that I know kind of where your your brain went. But yeah, um, I said... Well, thinking about that in my brain, it's I wouldn't necessarily always recommend a store, but I would recommend specific products. Mm. And because depending on the store that you go to, there may be a combination of products that I would recommend and products I wouldn't necessarily recommend. Okay. What brands would you recommend? That is that what you're getting at there? No, but I can go into that too. All right. Um <laughs> Basically, what I would suggest is just making sure everything that you're do- you're getting from a supplement perspective is third-party tested. So, um, again, I know I've mentioned this before, but that means that the products are independently and voluntarily tested for safety, efficacy, and basically making sure what's on the label is what's in the product, uh, making sure there are no banned substances, making sure the dose is correct and it's labeled correctly um so that's what i would suggest um there there are places that you can look so informed choice is a website that you can look and make sure and the reason i say that again i don't necessarily recommend one store but recommend specific products and making sure they're third-party tested is some companies like 
I don't know, I'll use first form as an example. Some of their products are third party tested and they're confirmed on informed choice. Some are not. Mm. Um, same thing with uh, Thorn. I recommend a lot of their products. Some yeah. are third party tested and like NSF certified safe for sport. Some are not. Mm. I would say the majority are. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so from a product perspective or a brand perspective, I recommend a lot of different brands, but all of the products I recommend are third-party tested. Gotcha. Um, I do like Thorn. I like Pure Encapsulations. Mm. I like First Form. I like Muscle Milk, um, Gatorade, Powerade. Yeah. Um, there's a, there's a lot that I like, and there's I I kind of have like different go-to products for different places. Um, but I do think from a variety perspective, Thorn has a lot of good products. That's good. Uh, we're going to put a link in uh, the description for uh, and Thorn. And have a dispensary. Yeah. Claire does have a dispensary uh, with Thorn. So all of her recommended products mm -hmm. from Thorn are in there. So I, I think it's a great company as well. Mm -hmm. uh, we are not being paid to say this, no, by the way. We are not sponsored. We are this not is, sponsored by Thorn. This is not an ad. Uh, just being in collegiate strength conditioning, having a lot of friends that are mm -hmm. um, in strength conditioning as well. This is a product that a lot of people that I trust, trust. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, and I've had their products too. They're great. They're great. Yeah. yeah. So we'll, we'll put the link out there if you want to look at it. Good quality products for sure. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And that's all we have today. Yeah. Talked about some good uh, foot topic uh <laughs> about healing foot health yeah foot health <laughs> <laughs> we talked about supplements in our uh, segment what's up yeah more to come yeah other than that yeah. uh, thanks for listening we'll catch you on the next one see ya